Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. I love Christmas. I love getting together at Christmas and especially because this is our family's service and um, I think it's so great to be able to celebrate Christmas and and really celebrate with our family. Um, I don't know, I, I assume that most of you would be aware of this, but when it comes to church and we talk about church, it, how many of you would know that church is not some corporate body somewhere? It's not a corporate thing, right? Okay, so Jesus would say that when it comes to church, that church is all about family. In fact, how many of you would understand that when it comes to church, Jesus would often say to the disciples that they were brothers and sisters in Christ. Have you heard that before? Yeah, okay. So the reason that he would say that is for a very specific reason. How did we become brothers and sisters? Because I know, you know, like depending on how you speak, you know, you might text somebody, hey, bro, how are you? Um, And uh, you see somebody you haven't seen for a long time. Hey, bro, how you doing? Right. And, And people can say these things. But the truth is, is that if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then we are, in fact, a spiritual family. Yeah. Okay, so, so the question would be, and it seems kind of obvious, and I'll admit that it is a little bit obvious, but how did we become a family? How did, how did that happen? Well, it is simple. We were all adopted. Yes? Yes, that's how it happens. We were adopted. And that is why God refers to us as a family. We are a spiritual family. We are part of His family. And I want to read a scripture to you guys today, an important one out of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. It says in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, that is God's phrase that He uses when He doesn't want to commit to much. Have you noticed that? <laughs> He's not, when, when will you answer my prayer? When the fullness of time has come. God, do you know how much I need this? Yes, I do. So when will you show up? When the fullness of time has come. It is just this phrase that means that we have no idea what he's doing, but he's going to do something, okay? So when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, not Victorian law, but the Mosaic law, 613 commandments um, that everyone had to follow. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but the law was basically put in place to help the nation of Israel know if they were truly righteous or not. Of course, we know that that was a dismal failure. So born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, that would have been us, but we live in an era post that. It says so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. And we know that that means sons and daughters, yeah? Yeah. Okay, you guys a little quiet. We're going to warm up. It's all right. Verse 6. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word Abba, it, it, it is such an endearing term. It's like referring to God as your daddy, right? So it's a very endearing term, a very close relationship. And he says in verse 7, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through Christ. God is into adoption. How many of you would be able to remember back to high school 
And I am told that they have changed the way that they do this thing that I'm about to talk to you about. But how many of you could think back to high school and remember when you had to attend your sport class and the teacher would say to you, all right, I'm going to pick two captains. And they bring both of those people out. And now they are looking at the crowd of people that are there. And then they say to those two captains, now choose your team. And one by one, people would begin to be picked, right? And this is a horrible experience depending on the order in which you are picked. Do you remember th Remember this? Okay, so what happens? If you are picked first, right? It, well, you feel good and there's a number of reasons why you would be picked first. For example, if you've got a banana arm, you know, you're not going to get chosen. If you can't kick a football, you're not going to get chosen. If you can't catch a ball, you're not going to get chosen. There are many reasons why you might not get chosen. If you have no hand-eye coordination, you're not going to get chosen. If you have no muscle mass, you're not going to get chosen. Can you run? No. Guess what? Not going to get chosen. There are a number of things that might make you valuable. But in this scenario, if you don't have the ability to help that team win, you are never going to be chosen. And the worst thing that can happen is when you get all the way to the end and you're one of the last few people to be chosen. And, 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 and really, when you think about it, when it does get to the last person, nobody chooses them. It's by default. So they go, yep, all right, I'm on this team, right? Nobody chose them, right? It's horrible. I was told that they don't do it like that anymore because of all the issues it gives people. So anyway, but this is how it used to happen growing up, right? Now, why would people make decisions on that basis? Well, they're looking for some kind of value to be added to their team, right? Yeah. Right? So they want someone that's going to help them win. So they're looking for qualities in that person that will help them accomplish everything that they want to do. And this doesn't happen with just kids in high school. Children are like this too. So for example, like let's say you took a child to a pet store and they arrive at the, or they go to the RSPCA to choose a pet. When they go to choose an animal, right? What is that child looking for? the cutest little most perfect puppy that they can ever find. Meanwhile, there's some three-legged thing with teeth missing and they're like, no, nah, forget it, don't want you, right? They want the cutest thing that they can find. Why? What is that child looking for? They're looking for something that adds value. They have a criteria. So people do this all the time. When we make decisions, we often make decisions wanting things in our life that what? Help us, aid us, add value to our lives. And that is what makes God's adoption process absolutely astounding astounding to me. He is not like us. We are always looking for something that adds value to us. When God adopts us, He does it in a completely different way. Now, if you are not a Christian, I want to help you to unpack this a little bit to help you understand it. So go with me for just a moment. I want you to imagine that as of right now, and we are imagining this, guys, so just relax, okay? But I want you to imagine that suddenly you were here one minute, and imagine that you were suddenly standing before the Lord God Almighty. 
You are no longer here, you are there. Where are you? You are in a stadium, a giant stadium filled with 50,000 seats all around you. Here you are and you open your eyes and God Almighty looks at you and He says to you, you have died and also welcome. Glad that you could be here. To which you freak out and think, oh my gosh, did I leave the stove on? Like you start to think, like, what? I, there were some things that I was going to do that I never did. God, would it be okay if I went back? At, no, your time has passed. Can I get a do-over? You cannot get a do-over. You are now here, right? For, the, for this next little bit, we're gonna go on a little bit of a journey together and then you're gonna end up somewhere forever. But I had other things. Forget about that. That's not happening anymore. We're going to do something interesting right now. And so there you are. And he says, well, why don't you welcome down the front? And God gives you a seat directly in front of a giant screen in ultra high definition. You sit in that seat. There are two seats. He sits right next to you. And he says to you, right, what we're about to do is review your entire life. Now this screen has the ability to record everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever said, every thought you've ever had about anyone ever. And not only that, but as events are playing out in real time, your thoughts become the subtext at the bottom so that we can read what you were thinking while you were speaking. And we know that you don't always say what you think. And there's a reason because if you said everything you thought, people might commit you to an asylum that could help you. So we know that there are things that you've never uttered out of your mouth, right? But guess what? God knows everything and so does this television screen. So you sit there and it begins to review everything that you've ever done. Included in that is every keystroke you've ever done. All of your browser history is suddenly being made available to, to you and God as you sit there and watch together, right? Everything you've ever thought about a person that you really shouldn't have thought or whatever, it's all there in front of you. So as this is happening, you're sitting on the seat, it's happening, you're right next to to God and you would love to if you could shield his eyes but he already knows there's no value to you to do that right and you were kind of freaking out you watched the whole thing everything that you wish you never did and it's all up there you're sitting next to God while it happens and you get to the end of that moment and you are thoroughly <laughs> shaken because in that moment you realize that there is so much about your life that if you could, you would go back and change. There is so much about you that you hope people were never going to find out about you. You have secrets, or at least you had them, but they were on public display before you and God. You utter out of your mouth, well, thank God that's over. He says, that's cute, but it's not. You say, Are you kidding me? No, this thing's only a quarter of the way over. God, what happens next? He says, well, what we're going to do is we're going to re-watch all of that footage, but this time we're going to watch everything that you were supposed to have done. This is the life that you could have lived. This is the one that you could have had. Had you obeyed everything I said in my word and everything I spoke to you in my spirit, 
and, and you sit there and you watch that. And then you see all the things that you should have done, all right? Now, these form two categories. The first category, all the stuff that, you, you know, yeah, just some good stuff in there. But admittedly, there was, a, there was a whole heap of things that you just hoped that no one would ever find out about. God already knew about it, right? That's what we would call the sins of commission. It's the wrong things that you do. But sin comes in two categories. The other one is the sin of omission. It's the stuff that you were supposed to do that you never did. So you watch, you're watching both of these. And at the end of watching the second screening of your life, the one that you should have won, all the stuff that you ignored, all the stuff that you disobeyed, everything, you, you get to the end of that. And now if you weren't shaken enough, you are completely beside yourself at this point. <laughs> God, I didn't, I didn't know it was going to go down like this. Can I go back? No, we've talked about that. You can't get back. There's no do-over. <laughs> okay. All right. So is that the end of it? Oh no. Oh no. There's so much more to come. At that moment, the doors to the auditorium open all over the place and thousands and thousands and thousands of people begin to pour into the stadium. You say, what's happening? He says, well, now what we're going to do is we're going to re-watch both screenings but with all the people that you interacted with in that first video and now they will get to see all the things that you did all the things that you ever thought about them all the things that you ever said about them it's all going to be on the screen now you are completely freaked out yeah, yeah. right what, what what's my point to all of this i don't think that i need to convince you this morning that there are things in your life that are out of place. It doesn't matter who you are. And even if you don't believe in God, everybody in this room would know that there has got to be some things that are out of alignment, some things that you did wrong that you cannot take back. Now, if you're not a Christian, then the thing that we need to understand is that God's standard is above, way above what we think is even wrong. So we might think, oh, okay, well, I lived a pretty good life, right? But according to God's standard, it is so far, so, so, so far below what He would have you do or what have you say or have you think that you realize you have fallen so far short of God's standard for your life. And all of this happens in this moment as you begin to review your life. You and I both know that there is a lot that you would hope people never find out about you. And all the stuff that you don't want to see, that you would be embarrassed about, all the stuff that God tells you is wrong, we call that sin. And it seems to really stick to people, which is why it is so fascinating to me that despite the fact that all of that could be true, in the middle of all of your mess and mistakes, God chose you. Knowing that, He still chose you. He wants you. And you think to yourself, wait, what? When we incorporate things into our life, what do we do? We look for what adds value to us. When God is incorporating things, people into His life, He's doing it in a completely different way to the way that we think and the way that we operate. 
See, you don't add value to God. When you come to God, all you have is sin, mess and mistakes. What He does is add value to your life and then He adopts you on that basis. That is how we have a relationship with God. That is how He wants to interact with us. And this is where people go wrong, especially people that don't understand anything about God. This is where people go wrong with it. What people often think is that we choose God and we try to be good. And God is often looking for ways to get out of that relationship when we mess up. We choose you and He's like, okay. But when we mess up, He says, I want nothing to do with you. And I understand that a lot of people, even though some people might be a little bit more theologically astute, the reality is that's how their feelings, that's what their feelings would tell them. Oh, absolutely. God is looking for a way out of this relationship. Well, I would just call that something quite simple. I would just call that bad theology. And theology is our belief system about God. And every single person has a belief system about God. It's just that some are informed and some are not informed. But I think that when it comes to the Scriptures, when it comes to Bible, when it comes to God, when it comes out to our relationship with Him, we shouldn't go to Him with our preconceived ideas about how He operates. In fact, the whole reason that He gave us His Word is so that we can apply what He said about us to our own lives. We should at least go and connect with Him on the basis of how He wants to relate to us, right? Now, this may come as a total shock to you, a total shock to you, right? But my kids are not perfect, okay? They are not perfect, I know. I know you would look at them and say, uh, Pastor Man, Pastor Sarah, how do you do it? You're amazing parents. You, your children are absolutely perfect, but it's actually not true. And you know that there is a time when they mess up. And when they mess up, well, surprise, surprise, we don't drop them, <laughs> Right? If you've had, look, you don't even need to have kids to understand this, right? You just love your kids. And they do mess up. Sometimes they do good stuff and sometimes they mess up. But even when they mess up, I don't love them any less. It might change the way that we interact a little bit. Sure, absolutely. But I don't love them less when they mess up. I just love them. That is how God loves you. So what we should do is understand how God loves us. And I want to read a scripture to you out of Ephesians chapter 1, 4 to 6. It says, He, being God, chose us in Him, being Jesus Christ. God chose us in Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. So before the world even existed, He chose you. That we should be holy and blameless before Him. How is that possible when we know what we're capable of? We'll just show you the, the let's rewatch the here. Uh, screening that is your life. How can we possibly be holy and blameless before Him? That's something He does for us. Look at this, in love, which by the way, is God's entire motivation when it comes to everything He does in your life. He predestined us for what? Adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, not our will, doesn't matter what our will is. His will is to adopt us. That's what He wants to do. To the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Who's that? It's Jesus. He's blessed us in Jesus. God sees you. God loves you. God chose you. 
He chose you. He loves you. He wants to know you. God chose you. I remember when I first met Sarah and, and uh, when we were dating, I remember went round to her house one day to meet her family. I remember walking into her bedroom. Actually, it was a little difficult to do that if I was going to be completely honest and I will be completely transparent today. Getting into her room was actually extremely difficult because Sarah had what I have called many times and will refer to again as a floor drobe. And I am not even joking about it. I, I, I am not joking. You think, uh, hey, do you just embellish stories just for, nope, let me tell you about this. When I met Sarah, the first time I went to her house, I went to open the door and it was jammed about 10 centimetres into the room, right? I had to push on that door to get it to open. And I, I promise you, the only place that I could see the colour of the carpet was that little arc that I had just made in the doorway. This is true. And I looked at it and I looked at her. I was like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous, right? Now imagine this, right? Imagine if I, you know, down the track, because to be honest, things didn't, you know, improve the whole time we were dating. So imagine that down the track, right, I'd say, I, yes, I, I love you and I, and I want to marry you. And imagine if I said, I will marry you, but only on the basis that you are able to keep your room tidy. No floor drope, right? Well, guys, listen, especially anyone who's planning on getting married, never marry somebody expecting them to become everything you want them to be, right? You can't marry people expecting them to, to, to change, right? So imagine if I said that to Sarah, then our marriage would hinge on her ability to do something to be completely honest before God has never really quite done very well. And if that were true, if that were true, I did ask for permission for this. If that were true, somebody on this creative team warned me not to go home tonight, but I did ask for permission to share this story, right? If that were true, the reality is we would be divorced right now. Well, guess what, everybody? Good news. We are not divorced. We are still, you know, in love and happily married, right? Imagine if instead of saying our ability to remain married in relationship, in that kind of loving, connected relationship, Instead of saying it's going to hinge completely on your ability to clean the room, what if I said it'll completely hinge on my ability to clean up what you can't or won't? <laughs> and that is how God does relationship with us. He doesn't love us, adopt us, and then say, if you misbehave, this relationship is over. The way God does relationship with us and the way that we stay connected with Him is that He says, I will be your father. I'll adopt you into my family and everything that you can't do yourself for yourself, I will do for you. That is how God adopts us. That is how God loves us. You know, in the, if you read the Scriptures, one of the things that you'll see is Jesus constantly says to the disciples, your Father. 
and the way in which he communicates to the disciples, your father, because it's one thing for Jesus to say, my father, and the disciples are looking at him saying, you are the Messiah. So we understand that he's your father. But then he, being Jesus, looks at the disciples and continues to say to them, your father. He's my father, but he's also your father. In the same way that he's mine, he's yours, right? So he says it. In fact, there are 37 times where he says to the disciples in the Gospels, your father, your father, right? I feel like Jesus is trying to communicate a very important message to the disciples. He's your father. And you must get this and you must understand this. How would that happen? Well, he's adopting them. And that's how he becomes their father. Did you know that that would actually, by the way, have been astounding to them with with their experience rooted in the Old Testament approach to God to hear your father in that way would have been astonishing to them. And yet he continues to say, no, he loves you. He's your father. Do you know in the Hebrew language, there's no word for adoption. We see examples of it, but there's no actual word for Adoption. It doesn't exist. It does in the Greek. In fact, around about this time, in Greco-Roman culture, secular, pagan, Greco-Roman culture, they did have a word for adoption. But what is interesting about adoption is the way in which it would happen. Now, don't shoot me because like, it's not like I made this stuff up. This is history, okay? It belongs to you as it does to me. So back in this time, there were... Um, specific people that probably wouldn't get adopted, you know, like the school captains, right? People that wouldn't be chosen. And the people that wouldn't be chosen were women because women were often uneducated and were of less value. And the other people that wouldn't be adopted would be children. Why? Well, come on, think about it. Why would you, if you're adopting someone, and this person is going to run your household or your business and, and you're going to leave an inheritance to them, why would you risk adopting a child? They could turn into anything. They could grow up to be anyone. They might have no business sense. They could be a vicious, horrible person and cut out your family. You know, they, why take a risk with a child? So you know the people that would be adopted would be adults. Men or male adults are the most likely candidates for adoption. Why? There is the least amount of risk because you know they add the most amount of value, which is why Paul says in Ephesians 1.5, he uses this word adoption. And in the Greek language, that word that he uses there means specifically as a child. And what is Paul's point? He's saying that when God adopts you, He doesn't wait to see how much value you have to the kingdom before He chooses you. He chooses you up front. He chooses you knowing all of that before you've done anything. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He is making His commitment to you up front. Even one child at the back is so excited about this. We're all excited. I'm with you. It's fantastic news, isn't it? It is. When God chooses you, He makes His commitment to you up front. By the way, we've all been in your position before. My child used to interrupt every single event we ever did. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. God bless your family. 
I've said a lot of things. You clapped at that. Okay, okay, okay. I have literally preaching the gospel to you that you clapped at. I'm just going to continue to move on. God's adoption is totally different to our adoption. He doesn't do it the way that we do it. He doesn't. We look for what adds value to us. He adds value to you and then adopts you on that basis. You think about it, He gives you everything. Justification, what is that? Well, a justification is where God takes all of our sin and shame and guilt and in exchange gives us His perfect life, His righteousness. He gives that to us. So now we can walk around. We will never be self-righteous as Christians. Why? Well, all of our righteousness was a gift that was given to us by grace. So we should never be self-righteous. What about forgiveness? Yep, He gives that to us, which allows us to be free and as a result not live in the shame of our past think about it the spiritual gifts that you have your talents your abilities all of that where does it come from it comes from God in fact I don't want to deflate you today but a lot of what makes you special or amazing or valuable in the kingdom you got that from him so He gives it to you as a gift, right? You need to know that God ascribes value to you and not from you. I think too many people, especially people that don't understand much about God, too many people are looking at God as a master when I read the Scriptures and the words of Jesus, He says to you, no, He's adopting you so that He can be your Father. Don't treat God like a master when all He wants to do is be your Father. To have a close and intimate relationship with you. You know, they say you can choose your friends but not your family. You ever heard that? <laughs> and why, why did they say that? Because everyone's got a weird uncle somewhere that they're like, oh gosh, you know, it's Christmas time, right? So, so at Christmas time, who's going to be seated around the table? Hey, will such and such be coming? Yep, they're going to be there. Oh my gosh. Hey, hey, hey. Remember, you can choose your friends, not your family, right? That's the context of how we say that, right? You can choose your friends, but not your family. Okay, yeah, but it's not exactly true, is it? Why? Because at least in a spiritual sense, God chose you. Weirdness and all. Mistakes and all, shame and all, guilt and all, sin and all. And yet in, despite, in the middle of all of that, He still chose you because God chose you. He sees you. He loves you. And He wants you to be part of His family. Don't you feel loved by that? I think it's absolutely amazing. And Christianity is the only faith where this is true. Because every other religion says that you can get close to God based on what you do. Christianity is the only faith on planet Earth where you come into close proximity with God based completely on what He does. Completely on Him. There is nothing else like it. So God loved you. He chose you, but He loved you too much to leave you the way that you are. So the Bible says that He also changes you. How does that happen? Well, really simply. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, anybody that wants a relationship with God goes through Jesus. Why? Well, because He paid the penalty. That's how that works, by the way. If you believe by faith that what He did counts for you, then all the sin's been paid for, okay? 
So now what you have with God is simply a relationship with God that comes through Jesus. But then He does something even more amazing. How, does we, how we present it holy and blameless? Oh, that is also Him, guys. It's actually called, and if I was using, I'm going to use a biblical word here, sanctification, which is the process of being made holy. And guess what? It doesn't come by your will. It doesn't come because you're amazing. It comes to you because of the work that He does in your heart. It comes to you because He is amazing. So, we are family. We are family because God chose me and God chose you. To which we say, thank you, Jesus. Because it's all about Him and what He's done we didn't have much to do with it. So now we have two types of people on planet Earth. We could divide them into two categories. The first category is people that have been adopted by God, that have a relationship with their Father in heaven that came through Jesus. The second group of people, we would call them orphans, because in some sense, God is the Father of all humanity. So He is the Father of everyone, but some have a relationship with Him through Jesus, and those that don't, they're orphans. And what God is saying is that He is choosing people. Guess what? The reason that we choose Him is because He first chose us. What does the Scripture say? It's that we, we love Him because He first loved us. So even us, you know, we think we're choosing Him. It's simply a response to the fact that He chose us. And if there are people that have no relationship with God through Jesus, I tell you today that He's choosing you. But what you need to do is choose Him back. So this is how that happens. This is how you become part of the spiritual family of God. You pray a prayer, it's not magic. You pray a prayer, it means something in your heart. It's not even the words that you say. We don't recite it like a, you know, uh, a scroll where we just read through that and that's it, you're in. You know, no, 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 it's got to come from your heart. But the Bible says that if you confess right, that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then the Bible says that you'll have a relationship with your Father in heaven. And so you just pray a simple prayer. So how about we, we do that for a moment? Because here's the coolest part. God is in the room right now. And every single person that has no relationship with God in this moment today, they can have that. And all they do is choose Him. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.